Hey, miserable bitches, we are back with another episode of Misery Manor. My name is C to the O to the D to the Y. My name is Emily. And before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at the door. It's Misery Manor on a Monday. It's Sunday. Well, no shit, but when they get this, it'll be Monday. Oh. Mm. <laughs> Someone's being real. You know, when I wrote that down, I was like, Emily's going to tell me it's Sunday. <laughs> and sure enough, she did. But it's Monday for you all. We have a busy week this week. So yes, we decided to just knock it out on Sunday and give you an episode early. Yes, squad. Well, um, I wrote on here because a lot of you have been sending us DMs on Misery Manor, which I love it. But we do have a name for the boy in the box. Oh, yes. And it is Joseph Augustus Zarelli. And what I was able to find, I don't know if you saw this or if you found anything else, but apparently his um, brothers or sisters are still alive. Mm -hmm. And they're like in their 60s or something. They haven't come forth to say anything like about what happened. Who knows if they're going to. They might know, right? Yeah, I mean, they could. Um, but the parents are confirmed to be deceased, which, I mean, kind of figured that it was so long ago. But... Um, How old would he have been? So, this was in the 50s. So, maybe like 70s. Okay. 70s. So, they might not have they been They might not have known, but they could know something around, like, if he was adopted. Because remember a lot of the theories that he was adopted at an early, early age when we did that episode? Yeah. So, I guess we'll see what comes from it. But I'm just glad... That he has a name. Um, and also, I saw that they're going to take down his old tombstone and give him a proper tombstone. Because right now it Good. just says America's Unknown Child. Yeah. But now we know who you are. Finally. Um, and I also was going to say, guys, this is super creepy. So me and Emily are from, we live in Houston. Um, and a lot of y'all do as well. But last week, so there's been a lot of people going, or a lot of men. Is it young men? Well, that's what I was like just reading about. And they've all been shot. Right. So a lot of men have been going either missing or being murdered here in the Houston area, especially around like Washington Street, as well as um, the Heights area. And now and cops cannot figure out who has been doing this. So now... They're starting to think that it could be a potential serial killer. So a lot of the victims that have been reported missing or murdered have been seen like leaving bars in the Heights area or off Washington. Um, but it's just super creepy. I mean, when was the last time we had a serial killer? The Candyman. Remember that guy from That Houston? was in the Heights too. Yeah. Me, me, Josh and I watched that this weekend on 2020. Ding Coral. But um, yeah, it's just crazy. I've been following it like crazy just to figure out like what the heck's been happening. There's been people missing from the university around here, like Rice University and stuff. So I'm anxious to see what's coming out. But the cops are stumped. They don't know what else it could be. So then now they're starting to think it could be a potential serial killer here in Houston. But they've only found, well, there was also like a shooting. There was like a fight at the end of November at a bar and like, 
some people were shot and one person died. But I don't know if that has anything to do. I don't do. think so. Because a lot of these people are going missing. Like one guy was missing for a month and then they found him like up near San Marcos. What? Yeah. So there's a lot of weird shit that they don't understand. But he was shot, right? He, yeah, he was killed. So where I don't did know. they find him in San Marcos? I'm not sure. I don't. Somebody that I work with was telling me about that. Because I haven't even really been, I didn't even know anything about it until last week. So, guys, we're definitely going to keep a lookout on that. But we're in Houston. So, baby, if you're from Houston, don't you be going to those bars in the Heights. Just take your drink, take your ass home, invite your friends over, and drink yourself to sleep at home. Don't be going to the bars because I do not want to have to be doing an episode over any of y'all. Okay. Uh, but we do have some Patreons this week. Our new Patreons, we have Katie Ray, we have Valerie, we have Beth, we have Kiki, we have Kimberly, and then we have one named Let Me. That's what it came through. I, I doubt that's her name, but if it is, that's great. But Let Me came through. So. Let me see the Beth. It's just Beth. I Oh, okay. It's not your Beth. It's not my Beth? No, it's not. Um, she has her shirt. She'll send me pictures when yeah. she's wearing it. Guys, and if you want a shirt, they make awesome gifts for this Christmas. So head over to miserymanorpodcast.com and order you a shirt, baby, because it's getting cold outside and I know you need a sweater. <laughs> it's sweater weather. <laughs> um, and then also, last thing about Patreon, you all will be getting uh, Christmas cards delivered this week. And also, for exclusive episodes, head over to our Patreon. We just recorded one about Joe Matheny who was a serial killer who made his victims into burgers and then sold them to customers, honey. So you're going to want to get over there and listen and maybe eat you a burger while you listen. He was really handsome, though. He was handsome, to say the least. That belly picture. (laughs) So before we get started, just remember to rate, review, and subscribe. All right, cool. So let's get into our case for today. Are you ready? No. And this is the first time I have not told you who I'm doing. Did we already do our music? Yes. Oh. Do you have amnesia today? I think so. Okay, so on the evening of January 12th, 1990... Let me start over. <laughs> <laughs> on the evening of January 12th, 1995, in the woods of Knoxville, Tennessee, Krista Pike... Does that name sound a, ring a bell? Not yet. Brutally, and I mean brutally murdered Colleen Slimmer alongside her accomplice, Tatterell Ship. And I'm just going to call him Tad because I cannot say that word repeatedly. So we're just going to call him Tad, okay? Okay. And you said 1995? Yeah. So strangely enough, instead of trying to hide her crime, she decided to show it off. Unlike many people, Krista Pike committed a brutal murder when she was barely a legal adult at only 18 years old. Krista Pike became the youngest woman to be sentenced to death in the United States. Maybe that's why the name sounds a little familiar, but I don't think I know. I've never heard this either. So Crystal? the Krista Pike. Krista Pike. So the killing of her classmate Colleen Slimmer stemmed from a combination of irrational jealousy, a perverted interest in devil worship and the occult, and of what she claimed uh, to be a life filled of poverty, family instability, and out of control drug addiction. I feel like this was a forensic files episode. Could be. But as always, there's way much more to the story. So let's get into it, okay? So Krista Pike was born on March 10th, 1976 in West Virginia. And right from the beginning of her life, it was off to a rocky start. So her mother was known as like a party girl. 
So she was way more interested in drinking and doing drugs and showing her titties at the bar. Really? I don't know about that, but you know, that <laughs> goes with it. Instead of raising her own daughter. So she's, you know, taking shots while her young daughter is just at home or being hopped around from different families. Okay. So as for Krista's father, he too could care less about Krista and wanted no part in caring at her, caring for her at an early age. So as a result, Krista's grandmother took her in and was raised by her for the most part of her life. So things seem to be going okay for Krista. I heard on some reports that her grandmother was actually an alcoholic too, but I did hear on more than I didn't that she, for the most part, was a good grandma. So, because she was like her guardian. Right. right. Okay. So it seemed like she was getting on the right track. She felt stable and she felt happy. However, sadly, when Krista was only 12, her grandmother died. And in turn, Krista's world turned upside down because now she had to move back in with her mother, who was the party girl and did not change a thing. So she was forced to move back in with her mother, who then introduced her to marijuana when she was just like a young teenager, even starting at like nine years old. That's so not Chris, a teenager. <laughs> well, no, she didn't smoke until she was a teenager, but she was introducing her to it at nine, like showing her how to even grow it and stuff. Oh, shit. So Krista's mother claimed that they smoked together to, quote, form a friendship. You're a mother. I understand you want to be a friend with your daughter. That's fine. That is fine. But, bitch, don't be toking it up <laughs> to get good with your daughter. Well, how about being a good mother and... Where's put down the bottle, put down the drugs, and take her to school. Where's her dad? Uh, he... Oh, Nothing. we're about to get okay. there. No, and no, no, I was like, fuck. No, but no siblings, right? I don't know about the siblings. I don't think she has any siblings. Okay. So Krista was now in an unstable environment. Her mother was partying and doing drugs. And because of this, Krista herself started adopting some bad behaviors. So because of the lack of care or attention she was getting in her home life from her own mother. So on one occasion when Krista was acting out, her mother's boyfriend at the time took out a belt and whipped Krista with it, who in turn... She ran to the kitchen, grabbed a kitchen knife, and pointed it at him and was like, I'll fucking kill you. Which. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So she's learning these horrible, horrible behaviors. So Krista's aunt did not allow her cousins to go visit the home because she said it was filthy and Krista had no roles. She could do whatever she wants, eat whatever she wants, come in whenever she wants. There was no home training at all. And she said home the house training. was filthy. That's gross. So although a lot of Krista's family members later testified um, regarding her horrible behavior growing up, it does not seem like any of them offered to help her or find help for Christine, for Krista. So she was just kind of left. I mean, she's young. What is she supposed to do? I know. That's how I feel. I feel like, I mean, what are you going to say? But like the aunt, like you feel kind of bad because you're like, she knows the situation, but she's not like. Right. Even the judge in the court was like, well, all your family members, all these family members are coming forth saying like. She, you know, she lived this life. It was so horrible. But the judge was like, did y'all ever try to offer her help? No. So that's so Krista eventually dropped out of high school. And by the time she turned 18, Krista had been thrown out of her father's house twice. So she would go back to her father's house every once in a while. Mm -hmm. But she was getting thrown out every time she went. So he claimed that she was very disobedient. She was rude. She was dishonest. And she was very manipulative. So Krista's final straw with her father 
and she was finally told to leave and don't come back was when she sexually abused his two-year-old daughter from his uh, second marriage. So he was like, oh, that's it. Get the fuck out of here. That is. So Krista went on to shoplifting and eventually this led to a one month stint in juvenile detention, but this did little to nothing to teach Krista a lesson. So upon her release, she joined the, uh, the job corps, which is a, the job corps, which is a government program aimed at helping low income youth by offering vocational training and career skills. How did she find that? Like she took that upon herself. Yeah, she took that upon herself. So good for her. And she went in there and she said that she wanted to train to become a nurse technician. Which Lord Jesus. But was she, um, did the father press charges against her for the the baby? So it was suspected. So it wasn't because the the girl was two years old, but the father had seen things that led him to believe that she was being sexually abused, but it was never charged it was just uh, suspected so she went to the job corp to hopefully get you know some training because she had dropped out of um high school so she wanted to be a nurse technician i'm sure you're thinking oh my gosh well great she's gonna get on the life the right drugs that way no ma'am so instead of focusing on her studies at school krista was way more focused on what do you think any drugs she could get her hands on boys oh okay and the one that she had her eye on was tad ship was he hot no ma'am so this obsession with tad jump-started the chain of events that ultimately resulted in the murder of an innocent girl so krista and tad had a lot in common especially when it came to their home life so like krista tad also came from a very rocky and unstable background so he was raised by a single mother Tad dropped out of high school in the ninth grade and decided to go and get involved with gang members. Ninth grade? Yeah, so he was involved in gang members. He was involved in, like, life of crime, lived in alleys, just not a stable environment at all. So also, like Krista, Tad joined the job corps and hoped core in hopes to get his life on track so when he was there he enrolled in the culinary arts program um because he wanted to be like a baker so how cool like you yeah so and this was an attempt for him to get some stability going on in his life because he Mm -hmm. wasn't able to keep a job he had no you know education whatsoever so he came here with hopes to better himself where was he living on the street on the street so according to fellow job corps attendees who both knew uh krista and tad their quote love affair developed very quickly from like the moment they met each other so unlike most couples who find similarities in like travel books i don't know sports krista and tad were both drawn to satanism and the occult so this obsession attracted other members of the job uh, at job core attendees including shadola peterson so she's going to be in this little mix and mingle as well shadola so let's talk about our victim in this case so we have colleen slimmer so she's a gorgeous girl she was an enthusiastic native of jacksonville florida who came to knoxville um to come to that sp- uh, specific job core and she was there to study computer technology okay I don't know much about, I couldn't find much about her life growing up, but I'm assuming she might've had a rocky life growing up as well, because typically people come here to one, get their life back on track or two low income families that need some sort of help getting their, um, you know, Mm -hmm. education. 
she could just not have like family and yeah but i'm saying to finances. go from florida to knoxville just for the job corps something oh it, yeah. she like completely uprooted right whatever. okay so according to krista colleen was quote hitting Wait, on sorry do they house them too yes it's like a dorm they have okay, dorms okay, and stuff. Okay. so according to krista colleen was quote hitting on tad and trying to quote steal him away from her and she was like oh hell no bitch so she would tell her friends oh my god i saw colleen flirting with tad what does she think she's fucking doing he's mine so although when colleen and her friends were asked about it colleen was like what are you talking about like that is not true at all i do not like him we are just friends we're just friendly with each other we have a couple of classes together like that's it however krista pike was not buying that and she thought of a plan to stop Colleen from proceeding with anything with Tad. So Krista took matters into her own hands and she convinced both Tad and Shadola when they had like a Satanism meeting that they quote needed to sacrifice her in the name of Satan. Now, I guess she was like the ringleader of this little cult that they built um, because mm -hmm. they agreed with her and they were like, oh, yeah, we need to. Okay. So on January 11th, 1995, Krista told her friend Kim that she planned to kill Colleen because, quote, she just felt mean that day. That's what she told Kim. Okay. Kim was like, um, what? Don't say that. Like, you're a crazy girl. Don't say that. But Kim later said that she dismissed it as just talk and that she didn't think Krista was serious about it because she was like all talk. She was like, you know, a liar. Nobody okay. could really believe her, you know? So she was like, I don't think she's serious. I don't think it's worth me like, you know, doing anything about it. She's a liar, but she wasn't lying. So the next night on January 12, 1995, Krista, Tad and Shadola decided to take those threats and turn them into actions. So the three of them, to uh, lured Colleen out to an isolated abandoned steam plant near the University of Tennessee campus with the promise of some marijuana. What's a steam plant? Like a plant that it's on one of the university campuses, like on their like agriculture. I don't know what a steam plant is. Oh, so they were like, hey, girl, like you want to come smoke some weed with us? We're going to go out in the woods if you want to join. And they were being like really, really friendly with her. Colleen was kind of like caught off guard, like what? Like, and apparently before they went to the woods, they went by like a blockbuster and like rented a movie. And then they're like, hey, let's go smoke some weed. Like we have the spot, it's hidden. No one's gonna see us. And Colleen was like, sure, yeah, I'll go. Like, let's go. So that night, Krista, Tad and Shadola and, Col and Colleen signed out of their dorms together. So like, I guess you had to sign out when you left, um, but Krista had packed a meat cleaver and a box cutter with her and put it in her pocket. So while on the way to the woods, they're like walking, everything seems good. And Krista all of a sudden it's like, so why are you trying to sleep with Tad? He doesn't want you. He wants me. So like, what the fuck are you doing? And Tad is there. And Tad is there. And Colleen's like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, he's just a friend of mine. Like, ask him, Tad, tell her. But he just stayed quiet. So Colleen's like, um, you know, she's starting to get bad feelings. Like, oh my God, we're walking onto these woods and none of these people have my back. So Krista was outraged that Colleen was not confessing and instead talking back to her. So she began to just kick Colleen and eventually like tripped her and she fell and she kneed her head, like started kneeing her head. 
like into in, the ground? in the face like on her knee like oh yeah so she took her head and was like kneeing her in the face so Ow. colleen confused at what was going on she was like what the hell are you doing like stop it why are you doing this to me but krista was far from being done so she flashed a weapon at colleen and in an attempt to humiliate her she was like take off your fucking shirt and your bra because she thought that it would humiliate her okay. and thus she would not want to run away from them because she would be mm -hmm. half naked oh baby i'd be running i don't give a shit in my is hanging nothing if you try to kill me baby ain't nothing gonna stop me from running so <laughs> So she pulled out her meat cleaver once she was half naked and began to beat Colleen with it very aggressively. Now, I don't know why the meat cleaver of all things. Well, like you can have like there. I'm thinking of a meat tenderizer. I don't meat cleavers are kind of big. Look it up there. I know what they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're big. But she had them in her. Oh, she had them in like her denim jacket. So. So she pulled out this meat cleaver and she began to beat Colleen with it very aggressively in one instance. And this is quote. Krista slammed Colleen's head on the cement and Colleen looked up bloody and asked her, why are you doing this to me? And Krista's telling this to the court, like word for word. Yeah. So Colleen tried as she might to fight off Krista, but was unable to overpower her because stupid fucking Tad stepped in and slit her stomach open with the box cutters. So, like, he could see that Colleen was, like, putting up a good fight. So, to help out Krista, he takes his box cutters and just slices her open. So, for the next hour, or half hour, Colleen faced unimaginable abuse. She was taunted. She was made fun of. She was beaten. She was slashed by Krista and Tad, while Shadola just served out the uh, as the lookout for the pair. So, she had nothing to do with this. She was just the lookout. She did have something right with it. but as far as the so murder she, when she was getting beat with the meat cleaver she must have been getting beat by like the other side like the metally and but also beat they were slashing her with it as well i mean had to have been so um whoa where was i okay uh for example so she so colleen begged and pleaded for her life and chris has said that she did this the whole time right i mean mm -hmm. i would as well and krista and tad only as she did it more they increased what they were doing to her so krista said in the court that she increased her brutality against colleen as she begged for her life so she said the more colleen talked the more krista kicked her in the face the more colleen begged for her life the more krista slit her throat so as Krista and Tad continued to slice and kick her, they eventually got bored and thought of something else they could do to show their devotion to Satan. Fire. No, to Satan. So they were like, how can we show our devotion to Satanism and Satan? So they took the box cutters and carved a pentagram on her chest and her forehead. And in agonizing pain, Colleen screamed out for them to please stop and let her go. But that was not their plan because to them, they had to sacrifice her to Satan. And in the courts, Krista said that she heard all these voices in her head saying like, you got to do it. You can't let her get away with this. She she deserves it. But how was she even screaming if her throat was slashed? So good. I'm going to tell you why. So at one point, not at this part, but later. So at one point, Colleen was about to get away from Krista and attempted to run. But stupid ass Tad caught up with her and pushed her back on the ground. So finally, in an effort to save her, Colleen looked at Krista in the eyes. Oh, sorry. 
Finally, in an attempt to, for Colleen to save her own life, uh-huh. she looked Krista in the eyes, and Krista said this in court, and she said, quote, if you let me go, I will walk back home to Florida without returning to the Job Corps dorms to gather my belongings. I'll just go home and not tell any, anybody about this. And in response, Krista told her to shut up because, quote, it was harder to kill somebody when they're talking to you. Yeah. So after 100 stabs, Colleen was still clinging on to life. So in an effort to end her life once and for all, Colleen went and grabbed a large chunk of asphalt, like a huge rock, and dropped it on Colleen's head over and over and over again. Then this part is sick. Krista knelt down to Colleen and said, Colleen, do you know who this, who's doing this to you? It's me like looked her in the eyes and she said her response was gurgling blood noises coming from her mouth. It was probably like a death rattle. So eventually the cries and the screams were silent and Colleen laid dead. So Krista and Tad were more than satisfied with what had just occurred. They smiled, they hugged each other, but just before leaving, Krista knelt down next to the smashed skull and kept a part of the skull as a souvenir and Uh, put it in her pocket and headed back to the dorm. So around 11, I know, sick little fuck. So around 11 p.m. the night of the murder, Krista went to her friend Kim. So the same one from earlier. She went to her dorm and she was like, I killed her. I killed her. I really did. And Kim was like, what? No, you did not. Like She would have to have blood on her. Right. Well, she took off all of her clothes too and like disposed it into a garbage can. So she was like, no, you didn't. Like you, there's no way. Yeah. So to prove it, Krista reached into her pocket and said, quote, look, I even have a piece of her skull to show you. And Kim was like, holy fuck. She actually did it. So Kim testified that in Krista's trial that while Krista was recounting the murder of Colleen, she was dancing and skipping around in a circle, smiling and singing as happy as can be. Like, I murdered her. I murdered her. I killed her in a circle. What? So the next morning when Kim saw Krista at breakfast, Krista asked, um, so what did you, or Kim asked Krista, so what did you do with the piece of skull? And Krista replied, it's in my pocket. And quote, yes, I'm eating breakfast with it. Like she was scooping? I thought at first it meant like a spoon, but she just meant that it was in her possession while at breakfast. I thought the bitch (laughs) was using it as a spoon. So did I. Ah! So the following day of the murder, Krista told another student named Stephanie Wilson a similar story. So she pointed to brown spots on her shoes and she said, that ain't mud on my shoes. That's blood. Oh. (laughs) And shortly after pointing that out, she took a piece of Colleen's skull and showed her and said, I killed her. So she's like bragging about all of these things. I wouldn't even know. Like, that's what that was. You know what I mean? I know, because it's just a little bitty piece. I'd be like, what the fuck is that? Petrified wood? Yeah. I mean, my cats throw up when it's hard looks like that. Did it have, I wonder if it had like tissue on it. I know, because it was fresh. So, um... Krista then told Stephanie Wilson what she had done to Colleen, and Stephanie told her that she had blood and brains pouring out of her. Well, yeah. So for whatever reason, neither Kim or the other student reported Krista's claims to anyone because they thought she was lying. 
However, at 8 a.m. on January 13th, Knoxville Police and the University of Tennessee Police Department were called to the greenhouses on the agricultural campus where an employee found what he thought was the remains of an animal, like a large animal. However, it turned out to be the body of Colleen Slimmer. So this part's really sad. So when they arrived on the scene, Colleen was nude from the waist up. Her head had been bludgeoned and crushed and her throat was completely slit open. The scene was so gruesome that the first responding, uh, responding officer testified in court that when he arrived at the scene, he thought he was looking at the victim's face, but he couldn't be sure because her body was so mutilated. So he couldn't tell from her any part of her because it was so mutilated. Well, I'm sure too that animals may have drug her. Right. So the crime scene was wet and muddy and there was evidence of quite the scuffle. So the bushes nearby were trampled and had broken limbs and blood on them. There were handprints and knee prints in the mud along with long drag marks from where the victim tried to get away but was dragged back to the scene. And a large pool of blood was found about 30 feet away from the victim's body. Yeah, I think animals probably dragged her. Well, so she well, I was... know Tad did it. Yeah. But then I think, again... And in court, they said that she actually tried to get away many times, but they just kept chasing after her and, like... You know, she God. can't. I mean, she, there's three of them. And she's stabbed. She's sliced open. You so. can't tell me that third girl didn't ever try to catch her. Right. I, I mean. That's what they said in court. So. I don't know, dude. Right. I think. I mean, regardless, she was there. She could have stopped it. So, right. Just as guilty. Well, I mean, they probably would have. I mean, they could have hurt her, too. I don't know. I don't know. Right. That's just. Shitty. So. The medical examiner testified that it was an in-office technique to doc technique to document major sharp force force or slash and stab wounds by assigning each one a letter of the alphabet. Did you know that? So, I mean, like, if you have ten, sense. it'll be like A B C D E. So, but the crazy part is, during the course of the autopsy, the pathologist realized that if she labeled each wound according to policy of the alphabet, she would have ran out of letters and had to have start labeling them AA, yeah. AB, BB, because there were so many they wounds. They said on over a hundred times, right? Right. So let that sink in how many stab wounds poor Colleen endured during her hour long of torture. So this is horrible, too. Oh, so the medical examiner noted that numerous gaping wounds were across the girl's arms, torso, and neck, and stated that, quote, the area around each wound was red in appearance, indicating that the heart had still been beating when the wound was inflicted. So the Tennessee Appeals Courts wrote, quote, she also testified that none of the wounds would have rendered the victim unconscious, which means every single stab wound she felt she was alive for. The only thing that killed her was when the asphalt was dropped on her head. So in court, the medical examiner was like, Colleen felt every single one of those stab wounds. But I mean, I'm but, not I mean, your body goes in shock. I feel like, yeah, that probably happened with like the neck wound. I uh, mean, she was probably it, after an hour of that. I feel like she was probably cold and right, exactly. But I think she was just trying to make the point, like the, oh, the yeah. severity of what these kids did to her. I wasn't trying to take that from her, but I'm just wondering, like science wise, right. if she really. I mean, maybe she did feel them, but maybe they weren't. Well, like... and she was in fight or flight, so you know, kind of like the case that we did about Allison Botha. She didn't. Exp she was wanted to live so bad that she didn't feel any uh -huh. of that until afterwards. Well, and this girl kept trying to escape. Run away. She 
right. tried. It's just... So police were uh, quickly led to Krista's front door where they interviewed her. So when they questioned, Krista ignored her Miranda rights and confessed to the crime. So she literally was just like, oh, yeah, I'll tell you. Like she had no, no, I didn't do it. She was like, yeah. So initially she claimed that she just wanted Colleen to leave her the hell alone. And that's what she said in court. Okay. And she said, my only plan was to scare her, but I got a little too carried away. Did she smile like that? She has no remorse. This lady's absolutely fucking crazy. So lady, she, she's a kid. Well, you're right, kind of. Kind of, 18. So Krista, Krista also consented to a search of her dorm room where they found her bloody soaked jeans, a satanic Bible, as well as an altar that she prayed at. She didn't throw all her clothes away then. So then she led the authorities to the trash bin where she had dumped some of her clothes in, Colleen's ID, gloves, and other belongings. Next, she took police to the crime scene, retracing her steps and describing every detail of the event. She loved it. And guess what? She loved it so much. Guess how many pages it was that she told them? 46 pages long. She didn't leave any detail out. So within 36 hours of the crime, Krista, Tad, and Shadola were all arrested for the role in the murder of Colleen Slimmer. I hate that name so much. Shadola. Shadola. I love it. So at the trial, Krista's attorneys unsuccessfully argued that her, quote, diminished mental capacity caused the murder. However, they were all three tried separately? Yes. However, Dr. Eric Ingham testified that while Krista had, quote, very severe borderline personality disorder, a dependency on cannabis, and depression, she suffered from no symptoms of brain damage or insanity. Okay. So Dr. William Barrett, who is an expert in Satanism, also testified at Krista's trial. He claimed that there were uh, were some satanic elements to Krista's crime. It was more indicative of, quote, an adolescent dabbling in Satanism. So, mm -hmm. right. Like what they think it what is. What they think it is. And he was like, this has, because, I mean, he also went on to say, like, Satanism isn't always dark and scary. Like, a lot of people think it is. So he said it was more of an act of jealousy and aggression, more so than a sacrifice to Satan. I think I've read cases that he's, um, like, uh, called in weighed for in on her. But yeah. Yeah. Because he was like, no, this sounds to me like it's an act of jealousy and aggression, way more than a sacrifice to Satan or anything that we would do in Satanism. So Krista's attorneys also called members of her family to testify to her, quote, difficult upbringing and another failed attempt to display like a mitigating factors of the murder. So initially, another expert, Dr. Diana McCoy, was due to testify to Krista Pike's diminished ca uh, capacity, but her testimony was scrubbed at the last minute because they were like, look, we have all the evidence we need, like, we know she fucking did it. She's admitting to it, right? So ultimately, the jury convicted Tad of murder, and he was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole after 25 years. Because remember, he's 17 years old. He's a juvenile. Shadola testified in court in exchange for her testimony. She pleaded guilty to being an accessory. And after the fact, she was only um, sentenced to six months probation. Are you serious? She's a minor, too. How Chris, old? 17. 17. Krista Pike, uh, unlike the other two, who was 18, was sentenced to the most aggressive punishment. She was convicted of capital murder and conspiracy to commit murder um, after just two and a half hours of jury deliberation. So on March 30th, 1996, she was sentenced to death by electrocution for the murder. 
So listen, her legal team said, quote, had she had been slightly younger at the time of the crime, like her co-defendant, Krista would have been ineligible for the death penalty. So they cited uh, Ropper versus Simmons, the landmark 2005 Supreme Court that abolishes the juvenile death penalty. So the court draws the line at 18. But Krista's attorney said that it should be extended to 18 years old as scientific research shows the brain isn't fully developed till after the age of 20. So they isn't all... that different for males and females? Is it? Listen, I've met people in 30 and I still don't think their brain is developed. So I have no clue. But I think scientifically it's it could be different. I think girls mature a lot earlier than guys, but I don't know. I don't know. I just thought I heard that. So they also said that Tad was the ringleader in the killing and he was very abusive towards Krista. And that's why she did it because <sighs> she was scared. So he, they said, quote, Mr. Tad, Mr. Ship, who's Tad, was 17 years old at the time of Mr., Mrs. Slimmer's death. Krista Pike was 18. That is the difference between a death sentence and a parole eligibility in 2028. That difference cannot be equated with increased maturity or brain development. Krista was not more mature or more responsible than Mr. Ship. At the time of the crime, Krista was only a year older than Ship. And because of that slight difference in age, Ship wasn't eligible for the death penalty. No. So some people were like, you know, that's not fair, you know. How is he only, you know, six months younger than her? He's He can get out in 2028. She's now being in the death sentence, right? However, and a lot of you might be thinking that as well, like that's not fair. But like let a me, lot of people are tried as adults. Right. But besides the murder, right, that she did and how vicious it was, she has been a straight up fucking nightmare in prison. In prison. So fuck her. And this just validates... Fook. So this, look, I literally wrote Fook her. So this just validates that they make the right decision. So let me tell you what she's done in prison. So to start, Krista's a little fucking shit. And to this day, she has shown still no remorse for what she's done. In fact, she wrote a letter to Tad just a few days after she was sentenced to die by electrocution. She wrote, quote, please write me. I miss you so much. You see what I get for trying to be nice to the fucking hoe? I went ahead and bashed her brains out so she died quickly instead of letting her bleed to death and suffer more. And they fucking fried me. Ain't that some fucking shit? Please write to me and tell me what you're feeling. Also, tell your lawyer if he wants me to testify for you. I will. Love you for the rest of my life. Little devil. End quote. Did they so let they, her send that? They let them correspond with one another? Right. So then they brought this letter up in court again. It was like, look, you show no fucking remorse. Like, this just validates, right? So in 2000, in August 2004, Krista Pike was convicted of attempted murder in jail for trying to kill her fellow inmate Patricia Jones with a shoestring. So authorities believed another inmate named Natasha Cornett serving a three-life sentence, three-year, or wait, serving three, three life lives. sentences for a satanic killing as well oh. um, to a couple and their six-year-old. So they both oh, no. attacked uh, Patricia Jones and tried to kill her. Oh, my goodness. So days after the attack, Krista made a phone call to her mother in prison, laughing the whole time and recalling what she did to this lady. And she said, quote, I wrapped that fucking shoestring around her and tried to choke the life out of her. Out of her. She was passed out on the ground, mama, twitching, foaming out the mouth her eyeballs were bugged out so far her eyelids were flipped up is she southern yes she has a really country accent 
So Krista did not stop there, though, either. So in March of 2012, she revealed that Krista had made, it was revealed that Krista had made an escape from prison, like a plan involving an attempt, a, an attempt to, um, with a corrections officer named Justin Helpin and a New Jersey man named Donald Coot. So <laughs> they, Donald and her started writing each other back and forth, kind of like meetaninmate.com. So he started writing her, never had met her in his entire fucking life, but they would exchange letters back and forth. Um, so, and he would, he would go visit her when he could. So he would drive 1800 miles round trip from New Jersey to Nashville, Tennessee, just to meet her um on the visiting days which was like once or twice a month but every time that they were there they would communicate on how they would try to get her out of prison but she she doesn't love tad anymore tad no because he's in another prison so she's moved on honey and this is in 2012 so they enlisted the help of corrections officer justin who agreed to participate in return for cash and gifts so in March of 2012, Donald was arrested and charged with bribery and conspiracy to commit escape, while Justin was arrested and charged with bribery, official misconduct, and conspiracy to commit escape. So Krista, on the other hand, she was like, I didn't know they were going to do that. I had nothing to do with it. So she, they can't really give her anything else because she's already in there for life. So they were like, I guess, slapped her on the hand and was like, shut the fuck up, you idiot. So on March uh, or May 31st, 2012, Donald, who was the guy she was writing mm -hmm. with, was sentenced to seven years in, print it, uh, in prison. Mm -hmm. And Justin, who was the correctional officer, officer that helped, he just got fired. He didn't have to serve any time. He just got fired. He's probably thinking, well, hot damn. Thank you. Yeah, no time at all. So after Krista and her attorneys exhausted all of her appeals to no avail, the state of Tennessee petitioned the court to set an execution date once and for all on August 27, 2022 or 2020. But due to the COVID-19 pandemic in Tennessee and various other factors, Krista's attorneys were granted extensions by the court, allowing them more time to argue as to why Krista should not be executed. The state did not oppose the extens extensions. So on June 7, 2001, Krista's attorneys filed a motion to oppose the execution date. The court is expected to decide on a matter as to whether Krista can be executed or if her sentence will be commuted. If Krista is executed, she would be the first woman to be executed in Tennessee in roughly 200 years. Knowing her, she probably wants that title, right? Yeah, but okay, so she wasn't the youngest to be executed. She's the youngest to be sentenced. sentenced. Yeah. So while an execution date for Krista Pike has still not been set in stone as of this episode, it's hoped that Krista's eventual execution will bring about a sense of justice for Colleen Slimmer and her surviving family. So to this day, she's still Some in prison. Not, not Colleen. No, um... Colleen, she's, I mean, she, I, I mean, I can't say someone's pretty after knowing what they fucking did. Oh, wait, Colleen's the bitch. Oh, wait, the... you want to see, oh, you want to see Krista Pike. Um, Colleen. Colleen's the one that was murdered. Oh, well, you said. So here's Krista couldn't... Pike in prison. So here's her, look at her mugshot. Ew. That's after she tried to strangle the other lady in prison. So she got another mugshot. She has nice hair. So she looks like she don't give a fuck. This is her around that time that she killed. And I'm going to upload all of these to our Instagram at Misery Manor Podcast. If you want to go see all of the she's pictures. Crying. Yeah, she's crying. She feels bad for her uh, family. 
But um, let me see Tad and Shadona. I don't have a picture of them. I'm at the find one, but I'll upload it. And what about the girl that happened to Colleen? I'm gonna upload all of okay. those to Misery Manor podcast at Instagram, guys. That so, is graphic. I know. And the, I always hate the ones. God, the asphalt on the head reminds me of um, Holly uh-huh. Dunn. And I cannot deal with that. I just, over like the jealousy had nothing. It wasn't even I, She didn't even like the guy. Now, she did say in court that, and nobody knows if this is true or not. She did say that Colleen on several occasions like went up to her to try to fight her. And she said that she had flashed a knife at her from time to time. And that Colleen was, or, and that Krista was like, you know, she, she threatened me. So I had to do what I had to do. But I mean, who's to say she's telling the truth, you know? Oh, here she is. So. Alrighty guys. Thank you so much. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. We hope you all are having a wonderful holiday and you're bundled up on the couch watching fire and <gasps> candles. Wait, that Tad, Tadder, Tad Daryl, he, he died. He did. It says obituary. Well, girl, there could be a million of them. He's open for parole, up for parole in 2028 is the last thing I checked. Did you watch this on Snapped? No. Okay, I think this is the three of them. Yeah, that is the three of them. It is on Killer Women as well. Killer Women or Killer Teens, one of the two. All right, guys, thank you so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day and a wonderful week. And love you, mean it. Bye-bye. Bye. Rate, review, subscribe.